So I invite you to uh, find your pew Bible. We're going to open up to the Gospel of Mark this morning, and we're going to open up to uh, the birth narrative of Jesus. We're going to hear the story of Jesus' birth. Some of you who've been in Bible study for a long time or who have already read the text this morning are looking at me with a puzzled look because there is no birth narrative in the Gospel of Mark. Mark doesn't have time to tell us of angels and shepherds, of Mary and Joseph. Uh, Mark has no time to tell us of innkeepers in no room at the end. No, the Gospel of Mark jumps immediately to Jesus' baptism. Did you know that the Gospel of Mark is the earliest gospel that we have? Uh, It was written, uh, scholars estimate, in the year 30. It's uh, the first of the synoptic gospels. Mark, Matthew, Luke. Uh, We know that Matthew and Luke use Mark as a guide for how they write their Gospels. So if Mark is the first Gospel, if Matthew and Luke use Mark as a template, why is there no birth story in the Gospel of Mark? Why is that not important to the Gospel writer? It seems that Mark has a message that they want to share with us. It's a message that they can't wait to give us. The Gospel of Mark is framed in this way, the very opening line. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This one line frames the entire 16 chapters. Listen to what happens next. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer, John the Baptist, appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey, and he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary, just as you hovered over the waters of creation. So we ask that you would 
reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words that they would be your word to us here and now. Pray, oh God, that you would breathe new life into the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O oh God. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some years ago, uh, my wife Sarah and my sister Bethany took me out to lunch for my, uh, for my birthday. It was actually dinner. They took me to dinner for my birthday. And uh, the check was just, uh, the waiter was going to bring the check to us at the table when they said, uh, we actually have a surprise for you tonight. And I, I said, really, you have a surprise for me? Dinner wasn't enough for my birthday? They said, no, 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 no. Thai food was really good, but we're going to surprise you because we have tickets for you to go see your favorite author speak and release their new book. And I said, you're kidding me. And they said, no, we have tickets to go see Pat Conroy speak tonight at the Carter Center. Now, this is what you need to know. I love Pat Conroy. I have read every work that he has ever published, every word on his blog I have consumed. And so I was surprised. And I'll never forget, we went and we heard Pat Conroy speak on his new book, South Abroad. It had just come out. I was entranced. And then Pat Conroy said something that night that I'll never forget. He said, do you know that I spend more time, I spend more time writing the first sentence of every book I write than I spend on any other part of the book. He said, I spend more time writing the first line than I spend writing some chapters of the book. I got to tell you, I read everything that Pat Conroy had ever written, but I couldn't tell you what one of his opening lines was. <laughs> For someone who had spent so much time crafting these words perfectly, I wonder, maybe I missed it. So I went home that night and I went to our bookshelf. And I stood right in front of our bookshelf, and I pulled down every book of Pat Conroy's. I started with The Water is Wide. I pulled it down. I read the opening line. Then I pulled down The Great Santini, and I read it. Then I pulled down Boo, and I read it, and I pulled down The Lords of Discipline, and then Beach Music, and then I pulled down South Abroad. He was right. These opening lines were pure poetry. They were beautiful agonizing, gut-wrenching, hopeful. And then I pulled down the Prince of Tides. And I'll never forget reading that opening line. It remains uh, my favorite opening line in all of literature. Pat Conroy says, my wound is my geography. It's also my anchorage in my port of call. My wound is my geography. It is also my anchorage and my port of call. I don't know about you, but you could give me 10 years and I couldn't come up with a line that good. <laughs> Maybe you could. I couldn't. I got to tell you, ever since that night, I have paid attention to opening lines of articles that I've read. I've paid attention to opening lines of every book that I've read. And I try to pay attention to every opening line of scripture. 
We learn a lot from the very first line of the Gospel of Mark. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark must be like me. He must really stink at Advent. I'm no good at waiting. Let's just get to the point. It seems to me there are two things that are really important that Mark wants us to know from the very first line. Uh, Jesus is news, like breaking news. This is really important that the Son of God is now here. So see everything that you're about to read through the lens of that. I got to tell you, in a world inundated with breaking news updates, it can be difficult for us to warrant what is actual news and not news. I did a little look in my phone of all the breaking news alerts things that have, ha have happened the last week. These are things that I've been told to pay attention to. Ballard Design is having a sale. <laughs> if you didn't get that update and you're now sad, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll share the code with you. I got an update yesterday that uh, the Mavs won by 50. And I got to tell you, that's breaking news for us here in Dallas. We actually won. There it is. I have been tempted not to say any of the breaking news updates about Jason Garrett or Jerry Jones. I've gotten a lot of those over the last month. But one of my favorites is, uh, this is the top 20 gifts that every dad needs this Christmas. And I thought, this is great. They can tell me what I need, so then I can tell people, just look at this link. Some things are breaking news. They're things that we need to know. But they don't have any merit on how we live. The Gospel of Mark is the opposite. The Gospel of Mark has breaking news, news that is supposed to inform the way we live. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The second thing that I think the Gospel of Mark wants us to know is that this news, this breaking news, is always good. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. This is news for the world, and this news will always be good. And do you know why this is important? This opening line sets off the entire tone of a gospel that then leads us straight into the wilderness. The wilderness is the last place that we expect anything good to come from. We all know the wilderness. The wilderness is the place of isolation. It's the place of loneliness. It's the place of struggle. It's the place of fear. It's the place of doubt. It's the place of displacement. Wilderness is not a place we like to talk about. It's not a place that we think anything good is going to come from in our life. And yet, wilderness is the thing that unites us all. I've never met one person who has never been in the wilderness. The wilderness will find us at some point in our life. Maybe you're in the wilderness this morning. 
Maybe you have just come through the wilderness and you are here to give God great thanks that you have come through the wilderness. Maybe you have been in such a dark wilderness at some point in your life, you can stand on this side and see it over there and just be so grateful no matter where you are. You know wilderness. Some of you know the wilderness this morning of uh, the diagnosis. Not for you, uh, worse, for your granddaughter. And the diagnosis has come in, and so you have been praying, and the procedure uh, just took place on Friday, and you are praying that this procedure is now the cure. Some of you know the wilderness of infertility. That's a lonely wilderness. And you come to this place, the halls are decked, and you want to come, and you want to find a, a word of comfort and hope and strength, and yet all the church can talk about is birth and babies and new life. That's a wilderness. Some of you uh, know the wilderness of losing your job. And it's been months, and you've polished up your resume, and you've worked your network, and you've uh, been networking, and you've been having lunches and coffees, and nothing's come through. And so what you thought was the loneliness of not having a job is really now becoming the loneliness of wondering, who am I? It's the wilderness of identity. Some of you this morning know the wilderness of addiction. You're not quite ready to call it that yet, you, but you know that there is something in your life that has a greater power than you seem to be able to control. And you notice that your life has been on this cycle and you can't do anything to break it. Some of you know the wilderness of loss. You lost a parent. You lost a, a child, maybe you lost a, a longtime friend. So you're in the wilderness of grief. Because the life that you've known and the world as you have known it is completely different than ever before. Oh, we know wilderness. Mark tells us that good news is gonna come from there. How can anything good come from suffering? How can any good come from loss? How can any good come from pain? How can any good come from the wilderness? You know that every person who has ever walked this earth, ever, has wrestled with that question at some point in their life. And the Gospel of Mark says, this is where good news is going to come from. I got to tell you, in the wilderness seasons of my life, it can feel lonely. Especially when you're surrounded by people all the time. The wilderness uh, seasons of my life can get me down, and I, I gotta tell you, they can make me ask a lot of questions. 
And I don't know what it is about the wilderness. Maybe it's because it disorients you from everything that you thought you knew. But it'll somehow, I don't know how it works, but it somehow tries to convince you that you are all alone in that place. Like you're the only one. Ever been there? You're the only one who ever walks this path or has to deal with this. What's interesting about the wilderness in the pages of Scripture are this. The wilderness is actually not a place of isolation. Throughout the pages of Scripture, if you turn and read the entire biblical narrative, the wilderness is actually a place of God's provision, of God's presence. Think about it. The Israelites were in the wilderness. Who was with them? God. Moses was in the wilderness. Who was there? God. Elijah was in the wilderness. Who was there? God. And now Jesus shows up in the gospel of Mark in like three and a half seconds, and he finds himself in the wilderness. And who's there? God. So what if the wilderness is not a place of isolation, but wilderness is the place of new beginning, even if it is a place of extreme discomfort? Jesus leaves Nazareth, which we all know that famous line, can anything good really come from Nazareth? He leads a place where everybody wonders if something good can come from there and goes into the wilderness to meet John the Baptist and John the baptizer baptizes Jesus in the Jordan and when he's baptized, God says, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. All of this happens in the wilderness. A proclamation of who Christ is and who Christ is going to be in the world. Henry Nouwen, the great Jesuit priest, says it is one thing for us to know that we are claimed and loved by God. Henry Nouwen says we are told all the time that, that we are loved and we are claimed by God. But Henry Nouwen says it, it's an altogether different thing to actually accept that and to know it to be true. So he says when he looks at this passage, God proclaims, Jesus, you are my beloved. And that is a proclamation. But then Nouwen says it's also an invitation. Jesus, you are my beloved. So be Dash loved. It's a proclamation on who Jesus is for the world and an invitation by which Jesus will do all of his ministry. The Gospel of Mark says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You are my beloved, so be loved. And where does Jesus go immediately? He goes to the wilderness. He's tempted by evil, and then he goes to the wilderness of people's lives. It's right there in the Gospels. He goes to those who are wrestling with demons. He goes to those who are experiencing loss. He goes to those who have been wrestling with illnesses for years. He goes to the broken and the brokenhearted, and do you know what he says? 
He says what God said to him. I know you feel like you're the only one out here. You may be the only one suffering, but you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. That's what Jesus says to every person he encounters in word and in deed. He shows up in their wilderness bring hope out of despair, light out of darkness, life out of death. And he shows up on the shores of our lives, especially during Advent, so that we will know in whatever wilderness season we are in, we are loved. You are loved. You belong. You're claimed. No, really. You're loved. And you belong. And you're claimed. I know you feel like you didn't do anything to deserve it. That's the point. You're loved. belong. You're claimed. And you're not alone. So be loved, my friends. Be loved. Allow yourself to be Loved. For this, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. We believe, O oh God. Help our unbelief. Amen.